I'm going to ask you to meet me this morning in John chapter 21. It is a joy to be back on the campus of West Coast Baptist College. I never, ever cease to be amazed every time I come here at what God has done and what God is doing here. Um, And I trust that you as a student are aware uh, that you you are a part of something special. And and I hope that you will never take for granted what you experience here on a weekly basis. Because it, it it is special. Go ahead and stand again if you would. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18 of John chapter 21. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, and that would be Jesus speaking to Peter, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying what death um, he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, that would be John, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You may be seated. June the 6th through June the 17th of 2016 were two of the most difficult weeks that I ever remember having. Prior to those weeks, I had been chosen to be a part of the motorcycle unit of the Liberal Police Department. But prior to any of us being able to work on the streets, we had to be certified. And so myself and four other men from our department made the 60-mile trek north to another community called Garden City, Kansas. And we did that every day for two weeks and I'll be honest with you this morning I wasn't really too concerned about whether or not I could could certify because at that point in my life I had been riding motorcycles of all kinds for nearly 50 years and I didn't know that for this for sure at that time and I still don't know this for sure but I'm pretty certain that I had more real-life motorcycle training than any of the other guys from our department. So I was good to go. So I thought. It didn't take me long into that first week to realize that everything I'd ever learned or everything I'd ever done on any motorcycle I had ever ridden 
was going to be virtually of no use during that two-week period. This was a whole new, different kind of writing. This, this, was a, this was a whole new ball game. And to be honest, I wasn't prepared for it. And what I thought was going to be so easy became the most demanding, difficult law enforcement training I've ever gone through since leaving the academy in 2006. I remember getting so frustrated early on in that first week that during one of the breaks, I walked over to where the other guys from our department uh, were, and I remember setting my helmet down on the mirror of my motorcycle, and I said this to them, I'm done. I'm through. I, I can't do this. And that's, that's extraordinary for me because I'm not a quitter. I may die trying to do something, but I'm not going to quit. That's just not how I roll. I'm not a quitter. But I was ready to quit that day. I was ready to throw in the towel because I just wasn't, I just didn't think I was ever going to get this done. I don't know that I've ever been so stressed in all of my life. I've got pictures of the shingles on my back to prove it. Now, I say all of that to say this. One of my problems from the very beginning was that I was comparing myself to others. Again, I was pretty sure I had more writing experience than anybody else in our department, yet I just could not pick this up. And while I watched the other guys in our department master this section of the course and then go to the next section and master that one and go to the next section and master that one, here I was still over here in the first section, still having not conquered it and still not having learned to make my way through it. And I'll be honest, the more that I compared where I was to where they were, the more frustrated and defeated and I hate to admit this to you this morning, but the more resentful I became. And you know what made that really bad, Dr. Getch? Three of those other four men were members of my church. So here's their pastor, resentful of three other men in his own church. And then it finally dawned on me you know Bill if you'll just concentrate on what you need to do and quit worrying about where everybody else is quit comparing where you are to where they are and just focus on what you need to do everything will get better and guess what students everything got better the more I zeroed in on what I needed to do and just forgot about what everybody else was doing, the easier it got. And by the end of the two weeks, that's good to go. I want to preach to you this morning on the danger of comparison. 
The danger of comparison, and I'll do it under this title, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. And just so we're on the same page when it comes to the word comparison, here's what I mean this morning. I mean judging where you are based on where everyone else is. That's comparison. Judging where you are based on where everyone else is. And students, listen to me this morning. It doesn't matter whether, whether you are a student or whether you're part of the faculty or whether you're a pastor or a staff member or a missionary or a church planner or a layman in the church. This thing of comparison is something that we all have to deal with every single day. Comparing where we are to where others are. Now as we come to our text here in John 21, the disciples are no longer in Jerusalem. They're now on the Sea of Galilee. They had been there all night. They'd fished all night. They got skunked. They didn't catch anything. When the morning came around and they were getting ready to, to pack everything up and go home, they hear some voice on the shore saying, did you catch anything? Of course, their response was, no. And the guy says, well, try casting your net on the other side of the boat. And you know the story, they did. And they caught so many fish, they could barely draw the nets in. And then it dawned on John, that's not just some guy, that's Jesus. And with that, Peter jumped in the water and he swam to shore. And then when the other disciples got there, they, they enjoyed a, a, a meal together with Jesus. And as you all know, Jesus used that time to restore Peter to a place of fellowship and usefulness, even though he had failed him miserably. And in verse 19, Jesus spoke two words that had to have been music to Peter's ears when he said, follow me. No doubt that meant the world to Peter because it meant the opportunity to begin again. And aren't you thankful this morning that we serve a God who gives us opportunities to begin again? But no sooner had Peter accepted the invitation to follow Jesus when he did this. He turns around and he sees John and he says to Jesus, well, what about him? And Jesus said in verse 22, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Now, I know nothing that we read about Peter ought to surprise us. But this is, this is something else. I mean, think about it. Jesus had just singled him out and affirmed him in a way that no disciple had been affirmed. Peter, I, I know who, what you've done. I, I know who you've been. But I also know who you're going to become. And I know what you're going to be, so follow me. I mean, what a moment. Yet the very next verse says, then Peter turning about. And in my mind, I would expect to read something like this. And he fell worshipfully and thankfully at the feet of Jesus. 
Or he turned and he embraced Jesus. Or he at least shook his hand for crying out loud. But we don't read any of that. Here's what we read about Peter's response to God's grace in his life. He began to compare where he was based on where John was. Again, Peter's response was, well, what about him? What's he going to do? What's going to happen to John? And how sad is that? But let's not be too hard on Peter. Because Peter is not the only person who's ever struggled with comparison. Now, the truth is, we all struggle with comparison at some point in our life. That is judging where we are based on where everyone else is. And the advent of social media has just made it a thousand times worse. But let me share with you something that somebody said to me recently. We can't compare our behind-the-scenes footage to somebody else's highlight reel. Young people, understand this. Not everyone is what they post to be. Comparison is such a subtle sin. And I think it's one of Satan's greatest tools because it's so easy for him to use. He doesn't really have to do anything but convince us to take our eyes off of Jesus and to get them onto something or someone else and he knows that we will instantly begin comparing. And someone wrote, we are plagued by comparison. We compare our bodies, our jobs, our families, our skills, our stuff, our intellects in an ever-increasing desire for complete satisfaction. We measure ourselves against the people around us. But instead of resulting in contentment, our comparison delivers compulsive jealousy, pride, and shame. Because of this, they said, we are distracted from our purpose, mission, and need to pursue holiness. This is why comparison is so deadly. And before I go on, let me just say this. I wanted to make sure that I was preaching this message to the right crowd. And so before coming here, I, I, I conversed with a number of uh, young people who are students and who have been Bible college students, and I just asked them, is comparison an issue? And overwhelmingly, 100% said, yes, it's an issue. It's a problem. And many of them confirmed to me, I'll be honest with you, Brother Prater, I struggled with it myself. And so having said that, I want to share a couple of dangers with you this morning when it comes to comparison. And the first one is this, it fosters a sense of pride. Comparison always forces us to see the world through the lens of better than or worse than. So as you look at someone and determine that you're better than them, then you realize the first cost of comparison. Let me go back to my story at the start of the message. When I compared my years of writing experience to, to that of the other guys from our department, I was confident that I was better than them. 
In other words, my comparison fostered a sense of pride. You remember the Pharisee in Luke 18 who looked down at the publican while he was praying and said, Lord, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And you're probably thinking, well, I would never pray anything like that. All right, fair enough. I'll go with you there because honestly, I don't think I would ever pray that either. But let's be honest this morning. We can be pretty adept at times finding others who we don't think measure up and thinking in our minds things that we would never say with our lips. Can I just remind all of us this morning what what Paul said in Romans 12, 3? For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And students, here's how we ought to think. Listen, I did nothing to deserve God's love and gift of eternal life. I was a wicked, lost, hell-bound sinner when Jesus stepped into my life and saved me. I have zero to boast in other than Jesus and His great grace. So the first cost of comparison is pride. Here's the second. Jealousy or resentment. Jealousy says, I wish I had that. Resentment says, I wish they didn't have that. And that could could be just about anything. It could be their talent, their looks, their clothes, their popularity, their brilliance, their personality, their body, their friends, their job, their opportunities. Comparison can lead to resenting what God does for others because you've gotten caught up in comparing what he's given them versus what he has supposedly withheld from you. And the next thing you know, you're like, you know, God, I want his job because I don't like the job you've given me. God, I want her singing or playing ability because I don't like what you've given me. God, I want to be able to preach like him. I want his preaching ability because I don't like what you've given me. God, I want her clothes because mine aren't very nice. You with me? Comparison always leads us to resent God's goodness to others while ignoring his blessings to us. When we desire something that another person has, in effect, we're saying in our hearts that God, that the blessings that God has given us aren't good enough. When you desire the gifts and abilities of a fellow student, then you do, as Oswald Chambers wrote in My Utmost for His Highest, you insult your Creator. To complain over our incompetence, he wrote, is to accuse God falsely of having overlooked us. Young people, listen to me. Look at me. It's a sad day when we are more concerned 
about being a better version of someone else than being the best version of ourselves that God has created us to be. Let me say it again. It's a sad day when we are more concerned with trying to become a better version of someone else than becoming the best version of ourselves that God has created us to be. I would submit to you that the discontent, jealousy, and bitterness that arise from comparing ourselves to others points a finger at God and tells Him that you have the story of my life completely wrong. And I could write it better. There's a price to pay when you fall into the comparison trap. So what's the answer? What's the the cure? The answer is really simple. It's not very profound. Pretty simple. Two words. Follow Jesus. That's it. Follow Jesus. Look at verse 22 again. If I will that he tarry till I come. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Students, Jesus has called us to do the very same thing. Follow him. It really is just that simple. Follow Jesus. It will be a glorious day for you. When you realize that somebody else's life slash ministry experience is not the standard by which you are to judge your success or failure. You want to know how to judge whether you're a success or failure for the Lord? It's very simple. Are you doing what God has called you to do and are you doing it where he called you to do it? Obedience to his word and compliance to his will. And I don't care if you leave here and pastor 2,000, 200, or 20. It makes no difference. Are you where God wants you to be and are you doing what God wants you to do? And if you are, then you're successful. Paul encourages us in Hebrews chapter 12 to run with patience the race that is set before us. And then what did he say? Talk to me. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Like a runner who keeps their eyes on the finish line. We are to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're not to be looking around to see what others are doing or or what they're not doing. Keep your eyes on Jesus and stay in your lane. It doesn't matter what someone else is doing in their lane because their lane is not your lane. Their lane is their lane, your lane is your lane, and you need to stay in it. Don't worry about what Jesus is doing in somebody else's life. What's that to you? What's that to you that he gets to go work in his home church when he graduates? Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. 
What's that to you? That she has a better on-campus job than you do. Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. What's that to you that, that he or she was selected to be a dorm supervisor or a bus captain or a staff assistant and you didn't? Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. What's that to you if, if they have someone special in their life and you don't? Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. What's that to you that he has his own car but you have to depend on other people for rides? Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. What's that to you that he or she always gets picked to play or sing on the big day? What's that to you? Follow Jesus. Are you with me? God help us to come to the place in our lives where we can say, that if all Jesus ever did for us was save us, that would be enough. Because the truth of the matter is, we don't even deserve that. We don't even deserve that. The challenge in facing the sin of comparison is realizing it's there in the first place. Like I said earlier, this sin is, is so deceptive. And like the proverbial frog in a pot of cool water, slowly heated to boiling. We don't notice the danger of it until we're nearly cooked. Young people, I'll close with this. Here's why you need to get a handle on comparison right now. Right now. Because if you don't, and believe me, I'm telling you the truth, straight up God's truth here. If you don't, when you get out there in ministry full time and you start looking around at other ministries and where you are compared to where they are, listen to me, you're going to be tempted to make some unhealthy compromises in order to catch up. Just mark it down, September 25th, 2019. Pastor Prater said, if I don't stop comparing, then I'm going to be challenged. I'm going to be tempted to make some unhealthy sacrifices in my ministry in order to catch up to him or to be like her or to be like them. Instead, listen, instead... Just do what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to do it. Follow Jesus and stay in your lane. Fair enough?